Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 98. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week we'll be talking about the 2014 horror film As Above, So Below, which comes to us from Netflix, which we're watching on the recommendation of Claire at Dupless on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the recommendation, Claire. Her second recommendation for us. This movie was uh, directed by John Eric Dowdle and written by the brothers Dowdle, John Eric, and Drew. And I'd like to mention up front that we do a lot of horror films, even those with like some sort of following from filmmakers who are not particularly relevant. I did not know John Eric Dowdle's name, but he directed the um, Rec remake, Quarantine, as well as the Poughkeepsie tapes, which we briefly talked about with oh, friend of the yes. podcast, James Koski, as uh, a really disgusting um, found footage horror film that neither of us have seen, but mm-hmm. and we know that turns a lot of people off. As well as the M. Night Shyamalan-produced Devil. Oh, have you seen that? No. I've never seen it either. But he's a name. He Those are, those are relevant movies, yeah. if not um, all universally beloved ones. And this is a movie that both of us had heard of, but had never got around to watching until Claire's recommendation. And I always got it confused with a movie that I love called The Descent. Mm-hmm. There was a long time where I always thought one was the other, and I'd have to be like, wait, which one have I seen? Oh, no, I've seen The Descent, which they are very similar. They have a lot of similarities, but The Descent is much more about, like, spelunking. Right, and this is... I mean, this is about going underground, but not right, in but the not same in a, way. Specifically, not in a spelunking way. They are visiting the catacombs underneath Paris... Um, which does feel significantly different. There's only a little bit of like spelunking in this movie mm-hmm. when they have to go physically down into the earth. Just to kick things off, Liz, would you recommend that people watch this movie? I would. I think I that would, I would too. With some caveats, but yes, I would. I had a fun time with this movie. It's pretty good. Me too. I, I definitely have issues and we'll talk about them for sure. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. But I thought this was a pretty good movie. I think it's a really good recommendation from mm-hmm. Claire because I, I think that this is doing things that most films aren't, for better and worse. Agreed. And as the found footage horror, I guess, skeptic, um, Mm -hmm. I think this uses it really well. And again, I think that it it has some of the same traps. So if if found footage is also anathema to you, it's not going to be the thing that wins you over, I don't think. Right, you've had some that you've liked, and this still does the ultimate found footage crime of, like, we're running and we're running and we're running. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the filmmaking in this is actually really good, and I think uses found footage narratively in a way that doesn't um, cover up sloppy and shitty uh, direction and camera work. Mm -hmm. A lot of this film is very clear. Which makes its sins, in terms of shaky cam, more egregious. Absolutely. But a lot of this film is very clear, and there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you want to see. And Mm -hmm. this movie knows that and lets you see it, which I think is really good. It's not doing the... I mean, I I say this as a lover of Cloverfield, but it's not doing the Cloverfield thing of you handed some dumbass a camera and they don't know how to use it. Like, I'll just say, our premise is that a documentary is being made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not the first scene. The first scene is a handheld camera from our main character trying to capture what she's there to find. But the rest of it is specifically a documentary being made. So there's a lot of like a legitimate filmmaker holding a camera the way Mm -hmm. that it is meant to be held and trying to record something for posterity. Definitely. So definitely check this out on Netflix. We're going to talk about it and spoil it, though, to be honest. I don't think that... um... 
plot is necessarily a thing you need to worry about with this movie. I went in having no idea what it was going to throw at me, and I think that that's a, a good way to... If you're game, that's a good way Absolutely. to go in. Absolutely. I agree. If you're not game, listen on for <laughs> an explanation of what's going on here. Yeah. So this movie, as as you said, is about um, a woman named Scarlett Marlowe, a multi-hyphenate PhD who is descending into the catacombs of Paris to <clears throat> find the Philosopher's Stone to avenge or honor her her recently suicided father. <laughs> just... What a way to phrase that. Uh, fuck it, we're doing it live. Yeah. Uh, who who uh, everyone around her says went mad um, in this search due to his obsession with Nicholas Flamel, due to diving too deep into alchemy, and she thinks that she's finally figured out where it is and is going to enlist some help and is going to ultimately, over the course of the film, descend with her team into the catacombs underneath Paris. Mm-hmm. I will say, I want to say right away. Number one caveat, the first thing that happened, unfortunately, which I feel like made you and I go, yeah, what are we in for? Because again, neither of us really knew anything about this, is just that we aren't going to walk through this plot every beat by beat, but it opens with her in Iran um, trying to find... Doing some Tomb Raider shit. Tomb Raider shit, very uh, Indiana Jones. What is she looking for again? The Rose... Key. The Rose Key, which is in Iran, and... Should we see what that is? It's or is that a slippery slope of having to explain possibly, every clue? It's, she compares it to Rosetta Stone. Yes. It's for translation of Nicholas Fumel's gravestone. Right? And she says some shit. <laughs> it's like the first five lines of the movie. She says some very... I can't believe we're talking about this. Why? It starts us off on such a bad foot. Well, I, it's an important caveat. I don't want to recommend this movie, which I do recommend it, and then have somebody start watching it, and they're like, whoa, that's some anti-Arab yeah, Islamophobic it's super, shit. Like, it's super racist from the word go. Yeah, like... Um, I don't think that's true of the entire movie. I Yeah, because the rest of it's really in France. And it's a fairly diverse movie as well. Like, it's trying, but it's 2014, and that should not be happening. Yeah. So I just want... I do want to preface that we will not walk through everything as specifically as I just did, but I wanted to put that out there and be like, we know... It makes me mad about this movie because it's a caveat that I wish I didn't mm-hmm. have to state, but like I want to state it. I want to put it out there. It's not pervasive throughout the movie. Yeah. But it does happen and it sucks. The thing that is pervasive throughout the movie that is introduced in that opening sequence is what I would charitably describe as national treasure bullshit. <laughs> I was going to say why YA novel bullshit. Sure. I don't want to walk through this plot in part because it's nonsense. And again, I say that with love, but it is nonsense in a way that occasionally gets grating, but mostly it's just that they get a clue, they need to figure out the clue, and mm-hmm. so then they go off and do something about that. Well, or or they meet a challenge, they can't do the challenge in the way that they want to, so then they're forced into a bad situation. Right. It's that over and over again in tunnels that look like tunnels. And it loops around. And, right. every, and I would say every clue leads to another, another clue, yes. right? It's that kind of scavenger treasure hunt that, like, when it works, it works really well, and when it's too much, it's too much, right? Yeah, and the experience of watching the movie, I find really generally pretty entertaining, because you 
can just go on this ride as you're led at a rapid fire place from clue to clue yeah. and having it explained to you. And it doesn't really have to make that much sense because to me, frankly, it, it didn't. I, not that I am invested in um, un, like uncovering uh, like the pseudoscience going on here. Right. But like you can watch this movie and not follow it. If we were to sit here and try to sketch out all of the conclusions that our protagonist draws from the things that she finds on walls in the catacombs, yeah. we would lose our minds. It would be like a it would be like a Lovecraft short story that we're <laughs> sitting here trying to uncover the nonsense of this film. Yeah, and it drives go us crazy. Exactly. Well, and here's the other part of it that I think is key is that, like I said, like you said, it's totally national treasure that journey they go on in that movie of like beat to the then and then we go here and then we find this and then this we look through these things and this gives us this and it's all like that that you know puzzle it's also a YA novel to me because one Scarlet is a YA novel protagonist that is she's not Nicolas Cage she yeah. is like a young hot <laughs> three times over PhD who speaks four languages and it's a little like Mary Sueish in an annoying way, and yeah. then she's like, except oh. she doesn't speak Aramaic, which is why she needs George, played by Ben Feldman. Yeah, another young, hot YA novel love interest, <laughs> and it's this bizarre world. You know, when you're reading a YA novel and you're like, all of these no, characters, I don't, by the not way. you, uh, <laughs> our audience, <laughs> any of you who read YA novels, you know what I mean? Where it's like all these twenty year olds and they're all geniuses, and you're like, mm, okay, I will buy into your premise. <laughs> For a moment. Um, it's that. And so watching it in a movie, it's just a little weird. It's got this strange feel. And so then she'll be like, wait, 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 what's that saying? And he'll be like, oh, exactly. And then they just, and then they're like, oh, conclusion. And you're like, no, 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 no. That will take, that takes five hours. Correct. Real. And the one, this is actually what got me. And this is a very personal thing for me. Um, but there is a scene where they go, they look at Nicholas Fumel's, um, gravestone they do the they 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 do a whole ass national treasure thing with like cleaning supplies and fire if you've seen national treasure you've seen this scene and then they're sitting in a park and benji is look not benji benji's the cameraman george is looking at a um translation or he's looking at the sumerian or the aramaic but he speaks she says he's he's the sumerian expert i don't know he's looking at a language and he's translating it on the fly, and it rhymes. And that shit yeah. pisses me off. Like Off his phone. Off of his phone. Well, sitting on it's, a park bench. Regardless, it's that's not how translation works. Yep. When you translate something to English, it probably won't rhyme in English. And if it does, that's, not, that's just not how languages work. I'm getting really steamed about this random thing. And I actually will say, I think this movie gets better from here for me. Well, I also think, to, to, your, to your point, I think that this movie does not care it doesn't care and it doesn't stand up to that kind of scrutiny and if that's right. the lens you're going to apply to this movie you're not going to have fun in which case you shouldn't watch it and i understand that's why i wanted to say like if you have hesitation then maybe we should explain it to you because <laughs> if you're not going to buy in this movie sucks like you're going to have a miserable time with yeah. this you're going to be like these characters don't make any sense they're stupid this plot doesn't go anywhere but you have to want to take a ride because yeah. these characters are going to find a clue, they're going to say two sentences to each other, they're going to reference Dante, and then they're going to move on. on and, they're gonna, yeah. <laughs> and moving on means running down a tunnel, and then you see some like crazy shit happen, and then they're going to find another clue, and then they're going to be like, oh, vitriol, what could that mean? Don't, like, don't get into that yet. But I will say that I think that this movie picks up a lot when they go in the catacombs. Not not even, not the first time. Certainly. when they Because I actually wrote down in my notes, I wrote, sometimes plot contrivances work. So... 
moving into that, they're in the catacombs. They figured out that the grave is in the catacombs, but it's not in the catacombs that any tourist can go into. It's in like a secret tunnel that part of it collapsed. So there should be an entrance. And then they're talking about this in the catacombs during a tour. And some random person is like, find Papillon. He'll get you into the tunnels and then vanishes. (laughs) So now we're moving into like, okay, there's some weird shit going on. They go to a club. They find Papillon. He's another young hot man. 21 year old. Yeah, another 20. But like this bothers me less because these little criminals can be 20. That's fine with me. But it's Papillon, Zed, and Susie. And they're a little, you know, group of ne'er-do-wells. I don't know. They used to be friends with a guy named the Mole who lived under the tunnels. So they know all of the secret tunnels. They're down there all the time having fun. Um, Papillon likes to um, do his little graffiti that's like pap and he circles it with a big exclamation point and he does it everywhere it's like his thing um he can get them in the tunnels because scarlet promises them treasure classic we're in we've got our team scenario right. but complete. our protagonist of course is pure of heart and doesn't care about the treasure no she just wants she just wants the stone understanding to, to her father prove her father was yeah right. whatever um so they get to the tunnels George is not coming. He doesn't want to go. He's like, I will walk to the entrance of the tunnels with you. I'm not going down there. I hate tunnels. My brother died in a tunnel, etc. We should also say that um, early on, the the history between George and Scarlett is oh, really yes. well fleshed out. That last time that they went on an adventure together, um, he was like in a Turkish prison for a week. And so he has some like resentment and like concern that like, oh, when you go on an adventure with Scarlet, you're in over your head. Yeah, and, and she'll leave you behind. She, yeah, she will not hesitate to, like, cut bait, and you will be left holding the bag. Yep. Um, sorry to mix metaphors there. Uh, <laughs> but, like, so he's concerned about that. He's like, listen, I will help you. He gets caught up, and he gets excited about it. I will help you, but, like, I will not go explore down there with you. I just right. can't I just can't this do hang-up. He lost his brother. Um, his brother drowned in a very similar situation. And... The actor, Ben Feldman, is actually claustrophobic. I did see that. Horrifying for him. Because I will tell you, I'm not claustrophobic, and there are still scenes in this movie that made me want to crawl out of my skin. Like, so legitimately upsetting to me. I'm pretty claustrophobic. It's pretty bad. Is is this a good time for me to talk about my catacomb story? Yeah. So I have been to Paris. And, Ooh la la. Oh, I know. So fancy. Um, I went when I was... You're joking, but I've never been to Paris. I like... <laughs> well, I went when I was 16 with a school group, and we went into the catacombs, and I was 16, and uh, it is a really horrifying experience. I think that that gets downplayed. Like... I don't know what it is about it. I just feel like it was like it was not something that was like, okay, everyone, we're going to the catacombs. Like this is a big thing. It was like, oh, and we'll go, we'll go to this castle, and we'll go see Montmartre, and we'll go to the catacombs, and they're all just normal touristy things to do. And I was down there, and there are fucking bones everywhere, just skulls stacked everywhere you look. And as a child, (laughs) I was like, this is so deeply fucked up. I was like, I had an existential moment of like, every one of these skulls was a person. These are all people and they're all dead and I'm down here with them. And I will tell you, I went like white as a sheet and I needed to be like taken up uh, the stairs and back into the light. And I had to sit there for like 20 minutes and just process the experience that I had. Yeah. And I actually like really, 
appreciate that experience, not only for just like, you know, you're 16 and you're like learning things about life and death, but also it really made me appreciate this movie and like the gravity of like sure. the catacombs and where they were. Um, I, I, but I just felt the need to share that because I bring such a, a horror history into this movie just like from the word go. Yeah, I think that there's an inherent spookiness to... I mean, I think all catacombs, crypts, tombs, etc. Um, but I think to this space, and I don't know if I'm cutting... I'm, I'm ruining some trivia you have later, but I think it's worth mentioning now that this is apparently the first film that was allowed to film in the catacombs. Yes. And they... Again, not all this movie takes place there, but like the stuff that we're seeing down there is actually down there. Yeah. And that's... First of all, that that's not a common occurrence. Um, and second of all, that like the walls and bones that we're seeing in this film are not props. Right. They're real. Is pretty like it, fucked up. Like yeah. inherently like really. I mean, I imagine the ones they're climbing over are props, right? There's that part where they have to scooch them. I imagine those are props. I don't know. I have to. I have to believe that in my heart. <laughs> sure. I hope they wouldn't make those actors actually call over real human bones. Especially trivia... because they're that one that hits Benji in the face, remember? Did your trivia talk about the two props that they brought in? The piano and the car. Yes. Yes. So my assumption then, if that isn't bullshit, is that um, parts of this are on a soundstage then, if it requires props? Uh, did, but did we not just say that they brought them in? No, those are the only two props that they brought in. Was the piano in the car. Oh, oh, oh. We're also now spoiling, like, later cool shit. Well, I think this is, like, this is actually when I... Let's move into what happens as soon as they get into the catacombs. Mm -hmm. Into the into this new tunnel. Um, there's... They do a little bit of wandering at first. We did forget to say, the cops come, they get scared. Oh, this That's what, what forces George to yes. um Which I them. actually loved. I thought it was great. Apparently that is a Dante reference, because that is how Dante gets into hell, is like a wolf chases him in. Should you clarify that we're talking about Dante's Inferno? Sorry, what did I, what did you I just say? Said, we, just, we said Dante twice Sorry. now. Dante's Inferno. We didn't explain that, like, apparently that's something this is doing. It is doing it in a big way. There's a lot of biblical, Egyptian, lots of the way that alchemy factors into all these different cultures, but this is very, very, very Dante's Inferno. You told me this was structured after Inferno five seconds before we started recording. I did not pick up on that when watching. <laughs> I just want to say that, like, I don't think yeah. that that's, that's essential to the text in terms of, like, the structure of the story. No, it's actually very underlying. It's just that one reference with, with the um, abandoned hope ye who all enter here. Um, but from what I have read since, it's very much the baseline. Uh, like, the, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's the, the foundation. foundation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they get in the catacombs. They get in the catacombs. They do a little bit of wandering at first because Papillon is like, don't go, we don't, we don't go in that scary place. We're going in these other places first, but it, it's typical to freaky little situations like this it takes them in a big circle back to that area and they have no way out so they have to go into the place papillon doesn't want them to go and pretty immediately when when they get there there is graffiti on the wall papillon's graffiti so they're like you lied to us and he's like no i've never been in here and there's a phone that's ringing that scarlet has to pick up and it's mm -hmm. her father and there's a piano as we mentioned that is related to uh george's trauma so, in yeah. some way his his background and i love this. I wish this movie was all this. I agree. I found it really effective. So when they're down there, um, when they're in the bad tunnel, which I don't know that we need to hang more of a lampshade on, but they spend a long time talking about how bad this tunnel is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they start hearing a phone ring and they're talking about how like, oh, they used to run phone lines down here, but they don't need more. Um, just the combination of audio and visuals of them being in these catacombs and hearing a phone ring 
is itself it's so, eerie. so effective. Yes. It is extremely... And this is also true of the piano's presence, and it's also true of the aforementioned car that we see later. Mm-hmm. It's just these objects being where they shouldn't be. Absolutely. That I find, like, the best, despite being the simplest thing that this film is doing. It is, I agree. It is spooky, and it is also, like interesting. And it's the knowledge of a place. I think that there's something I am so drawn to this in any kind of fiction where you are in a space and the space, not not a being there, but the space itself knows you and it's going to use what it knows about you to manipulate and terrify you. That to me is one of the most interesting and scary things a movie can possibly do. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. So like there's this moment with the piano. I know we said we were going to walk through all of this, but like I love this moment so much. I think this is the last moment we're really going to talk about. Yeah. To be honest with you. He's at the piano, um, George, and he's like, oh, me and my brother used to play piano just like this. We only knew one song. You know, my body lies over the ocean, but the ache, he was always messed up. And he goes on the piano like, dun, 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 and he goes to play the last note and it doesn't work. And that moment is so effective because it's this story, it's this piano, and then it's like, this is the piano. Yeah. This is the piano from your childhood. And that is just so scary to me. I agree. It's so frightening. And I think that what it like is what this movie then becomes about is way too much as we've discussed the the lore. I think you called it at one point, like alchemy, Egyptian yes. lore biblical lore you know just all of it and what i want more of and there is more of it later Mm -hmm. because this place is psychologically torturing them right but that's what i love the most if it was like rooted more in the in the characters and their personal traumas and the the ways in which it is responding to them yes because it is all a test right it is all a test for the philosopher's stone you have to prove yourself you have to go through these trials in order to get there and some of them fail yes i've been warning about it the whole time i i really just want to say i this podcast can be really fun and we get lost in a lot of the details and we go off on on things that we weren't expecting to talk about. I refuse to to start getting bogged out of the details. I know, I'm floor. sorry. Right. The flip side... <laughs> no, I think the piano and, and that stuff is great. I'm talking specifically... Like, the flip side of the fun national treasure thing, and I think that I said this to you um, off mic, is uh, the Da Vinci Code which takes itself yes. too seriously and is too invested in its lore and stops being fun. I know a lot of people like at least thought that was fun at the time, but I think that now is rarely regarded as a pretty bad book. Um, series. Book series, yeah. We're talking like from Copernicus to the sun and the moon and their palms touching to like alchemical lore, which is both the title as above, so below, which she has about 13 different ways of interpreting before she comes to say, as I believe the world to be, so it is. Um, well, I'd forgotten. This is part I, of the Lord's I, prayer. No, 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 no. Yep. I'm cutting you off. I refuse. <laughs> no. uh, there's a, like, there's a, there's a, there's a Dante Inferno quote on the wall. Like you said, like there's just a million little clues. And again, they're moving from clue to clue and they're getting further and further down. Um, do you not want to talk about then the foundation as we discussed of Dante's Inferno throughout this? Is that also getting too bogged down in like the metatextual framing of this movie? A little bit because I don't think that it's I think that it's a curiosity and not um I don't want to walk through the plot of this film. Sure. While you explain how each part is a circle. Well, you don't have to do that, but I just think some of it is so fun. And I think some of it is, like, also very related to character. The thing you mentioned about the Copernicus stuff, I think, is hysterical because it also relates to how Scarlet is so frustrating as a character. It's a funny moment, but again, we will be here for 
10,000 years. Is that not a good thing, though? If we talk about the Templar body that doesn't decay, uh... if we talk about the fact that the mole went missing and is now here, like, we cannot talk about all these things. Like, but I could I just... I want to. I could just keep, I could just keep, like... Coming up with examples of things that happened to me that, like, George's brother is under the river of blood. Like, the, like... Server sticks. The, oh, my God. <laughs> One of the trivia things I read was was comparing Latope to um, Sharon, the ferryman. But he's also, like, Virgil. You think I'm totally off track uh, in not wanting to get bogged down well, in this? Well, I don't know what else we're going to talk about then. That's what it all I is. I think that there's really interesting stuff that happens at, towards the end of the movie, and I think that the character stuff is interesting. Sure. This is probably a conversation we should have had before recording. You lead, because I, I think that is the difference between us in the in this, and this was the experience I think we both had watching it. That I was like, more, more, more. Give me the lore. Give me the references. I want to know all of this. I love how it all fits together. Because, from all the other you know YA novels, yeah. YA adventure novels I've read about alchemy, this is very much like this is the vibe. This is the National Treasure vibe, the Da Vinci Code vibe, all this archaeology, You're... all of this like the the marriage of magic and science. Like I love it. I'm super interested in it. You're crazy. What? <laughs> this movie is a lot of fun and is interesting and spooky and all of that stuff is again it's fun to like go along with. I cannot take it seriously. Well, you don't have to take it seriously to have fun I think with it, to though. I think to recap it and to sketch it out and sure. the lines between it, first of all, it didn't make sense to me half the time. And I again, I'm not interested in having it explained to me. No. I don't want you to tell me and remind me what vitriol means. Vitriol is the defining principle of how to find the fucking Philosopher's Stone. Yes. And I don't, I don't want to know about that. Sure. <laughs> when it comes back later in the movie, so vitriol, uh, they see and then they're like, oh... Now, our protagonist needs to explain what it means for the benefit of the audience. Uh, it comes back at the end of the movie. When that happens, I thought it was dumb and nonsensical. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was a ridiculous way to bring it back. And it's stuff like that that turns me off of a movie that I had a blast with. And I think that we're really hyping up in this. Mm -hmm. Uh if we overexplain it, I'm going to come out of this this podcast episode hating this movie. And it, it's better than that. It's a good, fun movie. It's just not... It's not a Dan Brown novel. And I don't... Are, wait, are you saying that's a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing that it's not a Dan Brown novel. I think if we if we, if we we enter these catacombs like Scarlet, we're going to turn it into a Dan Brown novel. And that's not fun. We don't have to walk through everything. I just want to say, and this is not something that I necessarily picked up on immediately whilst watching, but it all kind of comes together when I was doing research about this, which is that they are, in fact, traveling through the nine circles of hell. Of Dante's Inferno. And I read and studied that when I was in high school and was fucking obsessed with it. So, like, that, I'm bringing that to the table here. Sure. And you also love YA adventure novels about super-powered hot protagonists. Yes. So, and I don't. So, that, I think that's also part of the and conflict here. I love, like, biblical shit. This is, like, a conflict of a lot very, of my interests. very little biblical stuff in here. It is primarily, well, like... Well, no, because Dante's Inferno is biblical. Sure, it's but it's the conflict of that. Oh, there's also Pharaoh shit that I was. I mean, you also, th I don't know. Again, watching this movie, I did not think this was um, a, a Dante thing. I thought that it was sure. And again, I think that ultimately, I think that that's like aesthetic, both like literally aesthetic and also to mean like um, surface level, right? That's not foundational. I don't think to the what the movie's doing. I completely disagree, but you don't want me to tell you the reasons that it's Fine. foundational. Explain it. Explain it. I will not... Without I, talking about any of the clues, explain it. Sure. Just that um, all of the things that happen to them are specifically, according to what I have read, um, 
related to the circle that they're in. So, like, when they are in Circle 7, which is violence, that is when Latope murders Susie. And also in the, the level of 7 uh, is when um, we see her father. So they don't go to hell until 7? No, they're in hell. Well, this is the thing. This, the, like... Okay, an hour into this movie, characters start dying. Nobody dies until an hour in, and then in the last half hour of this film, almost all of the characters die. And that is after they crawl through a tunnel that says, Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Well, it's because the first circle of hell is limbo. So that's that's the suggestion of this movie, is that Latope is caught in limbo at first. That's why he's still here. Because he did not sin, he is caught in limbo. So it's when they go, the rest in, the, of them it's have when they go in the evil tunnel? The, no, this premise is that they enter hell the moment that they get into the catacombs in the first place. And that it is not specifically the abandoned hope you enter here. That is when they get no, specifically... what's the bad tunnel? The bad tunnel that Tapio doesn't want to go to? Yes. So when they go in a circle that has nothing to do with hell? That, mm, no. I think that, yes, because I think that's just guiding them. Because they're only down there because the police chase them right. uh, into setting off smoke out. Like, right? Like, they, right. They, 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 they trap themselves. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think that this... this Sure. Structure. I Maybe think it's, it's loose. Hold up to, it's and absolutely it's, loose. You're and totally it's okay right. to have a loose structure that, again, isn't solvable. I don't think right. this movie's These solvable. These are Easter eggs. That's the thing. It's not. It, it's not necessarily that this is all like a perfect exact metaphor. They're Easter eggs. And I'm into that. I think that's maybe where we're talking past each other, right? Sure. I'm into it as Easter eggs. Do you want to talk I, more about the Easter eggs then? Sure. I don't want this movie explained to me. That's fine. Can we loop back after we've talked about what happens in this movie? Like, ah, uh, sure. Rather than waste time now with sure explicating every circle of hell? Sure. Okay. An hour into this movie, characters start dying. Mm-hmm. The only important thing that happens before that is that they find the quote-unquote treasure and the Philosopher's Stone, which is taken out of a, a fresco on the wall. Um, then Susie hurts her arm, and by grinding up a little dust off of the Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. they heal her. Then they go into what the movie telegraphs as hell, which I guess is the seventh circle is what they're entering there. Uh, Given that, again, no violence really happens until then. I think so, because I think... I forget what all of them are. I know that the place where they find the Philosopher's Stone is specifically supposed to represent greed. Which is what? I want to say it's four or five. Okay. Because that's the like that's how that that's how they trap themselves. That's how Susie's arm gets hurt. Is that they're going for the treasure, and Correct. you're not supposed to go for the treasure, right? You're supposed to just like let the philosopher's stone come to you. What I which again only makes sense in like the bullshit alchemy world, sure, right? Like, of course, why is there treasure if not if you're down there and you're not looking for the fucking philosopher's stone, like, and you're not you're not getting distracted by the treasure? If you're there for the treasure, then what is it? Who does the treasure belong to? How does it exemplify greed? What's wrong with taking the treasure? Like, who's I just think that it's ridiculous. Sure. But I think it's like, that's a very common thing in folklore, right? That's like the literally like the uh, the magic lamp in Aladdin, right? It's actually how the Sorcerer's Stone is in Harry Potter, which is all Sorry, of our like... How is the magic lamp in Aladdin? You don't remember what happens? You, you can go in and get the magic lamp. You can't touch any of the treasure. And the monkey goes and grabs the red glowing stone. And that's when everything starts caving in. And they have to zoom out with a magic carpet. You don't remember this? Is that folklore or is that a Disney movie? That's a Disney movie, but I don't I don't know how much that relates to like the legend of the magic lamp. Why is the genie in the lamp? He's trapped there. He's yeah. put, punishment, right? So why is the lamp in the cave? Uh it's like cave about, it's about being worthy. Yeah. Whose cave is it? I don't know, the big lion, the the sand. It's lion. not his dad's cave. No. Okay. <laughs> You're getting into Aladdin lore now. But if you recall in Harry Potter with the Philosopher's Stone, it's the same thing. You have to, like, earn it. Only the people who are not looking for Isn't it. Isn't it only because it's hidden in a mirror, though? 
No, that's where Dumbledore put it. We're getting into Harry Potter lore now. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be in a mirror. No, no, but that's where he puts it in order to create this test of will. Well, we're talking about mirrors. Uh, there's a whole thing in here about how everything they do is mirrored. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's It's not so much the entering of hell. It's the fact that they go... It is, really. This is actually the mirror of Arisad. Um, They go... They have to do everything backwards. They collapse the tunnel, and in doing so, when they try to leave it, they realize they have to do everything backwards again. They're so, doing the same thing, except they don't go up anymore. They only go deeper, which is also a Dante thing, which is that you have to go down into Satan's fucking navel to get out of hell. He gets out of hell? Uh, Dante? Yeah. Yeah, he goes to heaven. Oh. That's the third part of the trilogy. I'm not, I didn't read the sequel. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. They don't do that. They don't go through all the circles. They go down one big hole and then they get out and they're... Should we talk about what happens? Sure. Okay. Everybody dies. Except for three of them. Except for Zed, George, Ben Feldman. We should talk about Ben Feldman. He's great. He's wonderful. Let's just have a Ben Feldman pod. I love him. And our superpowered protagonist, Scarlet. Mm -hmm. They're running away from some spooky stuff. They run and they run and they run. They find a big hole and they get out of the hole by pushing a manhole and then they're on the streets of Paris. Yes, so they so, have to, they're like... There's stuff I want to talk about before that. I didn't yeah. mean to like, I'm not trying to wrap up our discussion of the plot, but I that doesn't make sense in terms of what you're sketching out for either of those things. They do yeah. escape, uh huh. but they don't retrace their steps. She retraces, she goes from well, this, nine to confusing. four. She goes from nine back to four or whatever, and then back to nine. Yes. And then... But then from nine, like I leave. just said, you have to go, no, they go deeper again. They have to jump. They have to take a leap of faith. That's how they escape. That's from Indiana Jones. Sure. That's what they have to do. They have to. They actually don't even get to like belay into there, right? They just have to jump down the hole, and that is where they find the manhole, which this is the mirror-verse aspect of it that yep. was interesting to me, um, is that they are pushing the manhole down, but from our perspective in the real world, they're pushing it up, and they have to jump out. Yeah, and it fucking rules. It is it such looks a, amazing. It's such a cool way to end this movie, and I already feel this is exactly what I knew would happen, which is the longer we talk about the stuff that's so stupid, it's going to make me feel bad about this movie. This movie rules. I know. We it's just like so it for different fun. reasons. <laughs> it's just so fun. And the it looks amazing, too. I will, I, When they're pushing on it, and you get kind of scared because they're pushing on it, and you see light, and it almost at first like looks like hellfire that yeah. you're like are they going deeper and then no you realize it's, it's street, like, lamps. street lamps and it's amazing and I, honestly i think that the moment where we as an audience realize what's happening right i agree because they, they they're pushing on it and like it it isn't clear at first and then there's just a moment where like it clicks yeah for the audience like what they're doing it's like a legitimate like and that they're so close it's an oh my god moment that it's like what a trick you as filmmakers have pulled to get us out here is that this is a manhole and they're going to be back up because they were, they were just under Paris the whole time. Yeah. I love that. I love it too. And it's a wonderful ending to the film. To I their agree journey. completely. And they just have a nice hug and then they go off on their own and it's great. Well, then it cuts back to Benji's documentary of how she wants to find the truth. Yes. Which I think is... Um, a little silly. A little hacky given that I don't know what fucking truth she uncovered. The, pers the emotional truth that she abandoned her father. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> In these lower circles of hell, as everyone is getting picked off mm -hmm. in various ways, I think the most interesting is that there's a car that's on fire and it's tied to Papillon's guilt, regret, in and guilt. Way. 
Um, Do you know, apparently, um, I don't, I did not go back and verify this, but it's in the trivia. The guy in the car is the same guy who told them to find Papillon originally. Oh, that rules. Isn't that sick? I'm into that. I love it. I'm super into that. Mm-hmm. And I'm also super into the moment. I know that you, it's a little CGI silly. And so I, I know that you didn't really like it, but like the Papillon gets pulled into the car and then there's this weird moment where the car kind of like deflates upon itself yeah. and Papillon's legs are stuck out of the ground. This is also a Dante's Inferno Easter egg. Oh, that's interesting. Do you want Here, to hear the quote? Here's the thing. Yes. But here's the thing about elements like that in this movie. I think, again, clarity of of what we as an audience are seeing, for me, I know this is not universal, for me is paramount. And I think that Donald is a good enough visual stylist and, and storyteller that there's some great images in here. And mm-hmm. it doesn't need to rely on... Something that happens a lot in the third act of this movie, which is running, 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 so the camera is shaky, or at one point it gets like digitally like, which is as you learned from either watching like reaction, mm-hmm. the worst shit. Don't fucking do that. Like, <laughs> it sucks. All you're doing is taking information away from the viewer, and it never doesn't look like a cheap hacky trick. It never looks organic, at least not in anything that I've seen that I can't, um, like, comes to mind. It always just feels like you're trying to make up for your inability to stage a scene, or you don't trust your ability to build horror by revealing and taking away information on screen, and so you have to go Mm -hmm. and it's very frustrating, because... 99% 99% of this movie doesn't pull those tricks. Yeah. And then when it does, it's just like, okay, come on. You're better than this. I know you're better than this. I've been watching the good movie you made. Yeah, I agree. And that happens a lot in the third act. They're like They're running around or the camera's like in a weird position or it's unclear. Uh, whereas the points where the ca- camera is static and we see a character and something happens in the background of a shot, it's fucking terrifying. It, th- there are some jump scares in this movie that I knew were coming and still worked so well on me. Yeah, and I think that that incongruity is... Again, we've been praising the movie a lot. One of my major frustrations with it is that I think that it it, it pulls cheap tricks when it clearly doesn't need it. Okay. So yes, the CGI of a car folding in on itself looked stupid. His legs sticking out of the concrete, incredible image. So Just scary. And I will cite, this is... Uh, it's a Virgil line. Um, the ninth circle is called treachery. Uh... The suggestion being that he betrayed this man somehow. Virgil states, uh, out of the mouth of each one, there protruded the feet of the transgressor and the legs up to the calf. The rest within remained. So, like, great. Great way to utilize that Dante reference in this movie. I thought it was incredible. I loved it. So scary. I think I'm turning around on the Dante bit specifically. I still think that the alchemy stuff is, like, very silly fantasy movie stuff that I think, again, it's... It works if you don't think about it too hard. Sure. Uh, I think the fact, I'm deciding live on air, that the fact that it doesn't beat us over the head with the Dante stuff... I agree. Um, ...really makes me appreciate it. I fully agree. I'm sorry for being resistant to you explaining it, because <laughs> I actually think that it's deepening my appreciation of the movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. And there... really, what I really didn't want you to talk about was to explain As Above, So Below, or the healing powers of the philosopher's well, stone to me. Because I don't want to know. Don't even start. I know you're no, thinking no, no, about no. it. I no, don't want to no, no, know. No, 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 I'm not. I don't. I, I wasn't because I actually don't really have anything to say. Just accept that it's part of Laura's part. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, the thing that did not work for me the most in this movie 
and I feel like we can talk about it because this is a natural progression from this moment, is that... Uh, <laughs> I want to argue with you so bad about what? the Lord's Prayer comment you snuck in there. <laughs> it's, it's not in the Lord's Prayer. Yes, it is. It is a, it is a paraphrase As of, on earth, so it is in heaven. That is not the same thing as as above, so below. I just want you it to know. It absolutely is. And that's what, that's what she's saying. I said I wasn't going to argue Anyway, I didn't ask you to argue. Anyway. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a 13-hour episode. <laughs> anyway, uh, the when they're the deepest, 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 um, they see some stuff that I don't really care for, like a hooded figure that I'm seeing in some of this is Judas Iscariot, which I don't give a shit about. Um, all the evil, evilest people of all. Why are you picking and choosing what you care about? Um... Go all in because, or be like me. Because I don't think there's anything to support it. Like, another thing that they say here is that the there's these stone people in the things, in the walls that, like, become live and pop out um, that somehow she can just defeat by punching in the face when she's motivated enough. But they also bite um, George at one point and he's, like, about to die. And this is what motivates her that she, like, she tries to use the, the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone. It doesn't work. So she's like, this isn't the real one. This is vitriol. The whole, you know, lore, 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 lore. The thing I said earlier was the stupidest part of the movie. Yeah, and so she, then she has to run back through all of the circles, which... Not is, all of them, just to the one where the stone was. Right. But in a really, it just, it does not work. Uh, and then to come back, it, it just, it's really dumb. It does not work. The only thing that happens is that she, like, hugs her dad and she's like, I'm sorry I didn't pick up the phone that night when you called. I didn't know you were in so much pain. That's not Sad. all happens. She gets Whatever. bloody arms, pull her into the blood, which is... <sighs> it's just to make her bloody. It's like when it's like when the sky rains blood in <laughs> uh, Evil Dead. Um, but she then gets back to George Sans Sorcerer's Stone because she has put it back and then she looked at the... You just called it the Sorcerer's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone. Harry Potter ass. <laughs> um, she's the Sorcerer's Stone now. I yeah, did she it. Sees, you just she did looks, it to me. She looks in a mirror in the... Why did you do that to me? What? I called it the Sorcerer's Stone. I'm sorry. She's the Philosopher's I, Stone. I was J.K. Rowling pilled. Because um, she rectified, which was putting it back... And the ending emotional thrust of this movie is about rectifying yourself, which is meaningless and stupid. And again, when it leans too much into the seriousness of it, that's when it started well, to Well, and it's me. especially YA novel stupid because she literally kisses him and that's how she heals him. That is unforgivable to me. It's not unforgivable. I love this movie. I, I'm talking about it effusively. I love it. I had a lot of fun with it. I do not like... I think this happens a lot in, in horror movies that employ magic in some way, where it's just like the real Philosopher's Stone was the love inside our hearts all along, the love we have for each other. That is so, what this movie is saying. Yeah, so, and it, well, it's the dumb thing of like, as above, so below, what is the Sorcerer's Stone is me, and therefore I have the power of the Philosopher's Stone. But I'm like, okay, so for how long? Do you have healing powers forever? Is she a superhero? Is she a superhero now? Like, is she going to live forever? That's what the Philosopher's Stone does, right? It gives you eternal life. Can she turn metal into gold? Is that gold? what it does? Is that something everyone knows? Um, I'm sorry, you read Harry Potter? <laughs> Ten million years ago. Uh, Nicholas Flamel, that's why he's, like, still alive. In... I thought he wanted to turn stuff into gold. That's so he's also still alive? The... In Harry Potter. He's alive, and at the end of the first book, Dumbledore's like, he's going to die now because we just we destroyed the stone. He was chill with it, though. Where was he? Hanging out. Why did he participate in the events of the book? Why didn't he? Yeah. Because he's an old man. He's like retired. He's like living with his his 700 year old wife. All right. Well, that's a weird 
thing I happening in the background. I also feel the need to caveat here that J.K. Rowling is a turf and we do not support her work. I just feel like we should talk about that. I've been talking about Harry Potter a lot on this podcast, and I want everyone to know that I do not support her. That I just I feel like that's something I need to lay out. Lots of ca- lot of caveats in this episode of this podcast. I would also like to say, for the record, I don't think there's a single YA novel that I do care about. So if I have problematic <laughs> opinions about any of them or any of their authors are terrible, that's okay. Just don't at me. I don't care. Sure. Um, I'm not invested. Yeah. Uh, I just think that like that hand-wavy kind of stuff really bothers me. In a movie that is actually not hand-wavy. I don't think a lot of the lore is hand-wavy. I think they actually do want you in some ways to understand it. it whether that works or not, the rest of it, all of the clues, they do make sense to me. In a in a fun YA novel way, but like they make sense when they're talking about, oh, it has to be the seventh stone down because that's how many planets there were at the time. I understand that concept. I understand the concept. I think that the speed, which you alluded to earlier, with which they decide, okay, so here are these rocks. Here's how we'll solve this problem <laughs> and we'll solve it so fast is so absurd. Well, it, yeah. And actually, I mean, I feel like that's... I'm, I do wonder how much we're supposed to think everything Scarlet does is right. I mean, we, we aren't right because we know that her leaving him in Turkey was bad. Yeah. But when, when she is doing that, and but she's like, forgives oh, for that, six planets out of eight planets. Yes, it does. Uh, there's there's six planets, eight planets, and oh, okay, so it's the sixth one. And he's like, wait, Scarlet, don't touch it. <laughs> like, it's this great moment of like, stop. Can we actually think about this for a second? And it's still moving too fast for how these you know, archaeologists and philosophers should be thinking. But at least it's a little bit acknowledged that, like, she specifically potentially has jumped the gun in a lot of situations where she should have just been patient and waited. I mean, yeah. She's and thought like, it through for, like, ten more seconds. She's kind of, like, Ethan Hunt-esque. Like, like, like she's just, yeah. like, unstoppable willpower. Of, um, yeah, unstoppable force. Moving yeah. forward, cannot stop. Exactly. Like, Actually, that's just, I just thought, that's really, um significant that she has to go backwards okay i just had that moment there's some clever stuff in this movie i'll tell you the apparently this is the thing i was gonna say earlier that i know that you will not like because it's not alluded to it's just i think someone thinking this because when they're in the deepest hell the deepest circle it's like the it's all of the really really bad betrayers right like all of the most treacherous people and people think that the demon gargoyle whatever he is that bites george is Cain. Um, who's people? Who's having this the conversation? The people writing the trivia on, on the forums. Yeah, on the IMDb All page. Right. Um, they're making, they're figuring things out, uh, and I think that that's an interesting thought because uh, George has this brother stuff. There is nothing to support that in this film, and that's fine. Like, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's just it's theorizing, and I think it's fun. It's a fun idea. You know what's fun is that there's fucking wall people, yeah, and they come out, and that's cool. And they bite you. It's a cool idea. Ripping your throat out. I wish it wasn't shaky cam, and I wish that you couldn't punch them into oblivion. But like, the fact that she punches them is so it's stupid. interesting. It's an interesting image, one of many interesting images. Well, especially, this is actually goes back to what we were talking about before. What I'm interested in in this movie is the psychological stuff. I do not care about her punching them. I don't want this to be an action movie. I don't want it to be Indiana Jones. I want it to be psychological terror. If they're going to defeat these uh, wall gargoyles, I want them to do it in a way that is significant to their trauma or, or or the lore, even, as silly as that can be. And that, like, 
they don't defeat it with the Lord. They defeat it with the power of love. And like, I don't vibe with that in yeah, this movie. I think that when I was watching it, I very much had a reaction that I was like, this trauma stuff is bullshit. The stuff with her father and the stuff that like, all these regrets that people have of the child that they never met or the brother that they allowed to drown. Yeah. I was like, please stop adding like this trauma, this emotional stake stuff that I feel like is really trendy right now. It actually wasn't as trendy in 2014. Yeah. I just wanted to be like, just be a horror movie, be an unapologetic horror movie about what happens when you go underground and fuck with magic, right? Like let people be punished for meddling in ancient magics with the souls of millions. Like now I feel less strongly about that. Now that we've talked about some of this Dante stuff that I Mm -hmm. think is like sort of an interesting undercurrent, but I don't think it should lean more into the trauma. I agree that the ending is a little wishy-washy, but I think that, like, that gets bogged out in, like, I think it detracts from, like, the visceral fun of what is ultimately, like, a really effective popcorn horror movie. Sure. I think that what works the best is that there was a point where I was like, have all of these people been involved in a death? What is going on? Like, why is ev- why does everyone know someone who's died in this movie? Like, if I went down in there, I don't, like, have any death guilt. Like, how would this place torment me? And I like that they had at least one character, specifically it's Zed, who's like, I have a child that I have not acknowledged and that I refuse to acknowledge. Yeah. And, like, uh, I like that. And I wish that that was more of what was going on. I wish that it wasn't all, like, so-and-so died and therefore they're here tormenting me. That it's like, everybody does feel guilty about something. So just have it be, like, normal, regular guilt that this place is using to punish you on the highest level. You know? I mean, we we don't know what went on with Papillon. Like, we don't know what his treachery was. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, right? Like, if it explains it, I think that that's a mistake, I'm so glad they didn't. I'm very glad they didn't explain it for him or for Susie. I also feel pretty strongly that, like, not... I love the Babadook. Not everything needs to be the Babadook, right? It doesn't need to teach us something about... I don't think this... Te- I think it's different from the Babadook because I don't think it taught us anything. Obviously, it's, it's different from the Babadook. It's just about... But it's... I don't, you understand what I don't I'm think saying. there was a lesson. You understand what I'm saying about, like, it doesn't need to be that heavy. It could just be... Well, I disagree because I like it. I like heavy shit. I like everyone's trauma. I like everyone's insecurities. Like, I do want that. All right. I think that there are enough movies that don't have it, honestly. I don't think that there are enough, especially in the 2010s. Sure. I think that it's a it's a trend in in that gets joked about as quote unquote elevated horror in yes, recent the psychological years. It thriller is, thing, right? It is the era that we're in, and I don't want to punish this movie. And again, I don't feel like I really am. No, we're talking much like, more like it. I I in twenty twenty one, I'm a little tired of it. I'm a little tired of like going to see a hereditary and processing my feelings about like loss and grief when I want to see like some gore and some fun and like jump and I there's a, there's a place for it I just I'm I'm more fatigued and again this is more about the current horror environment than it is about this movie but it feels like it's 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 at the vanguard of something and it probably deserves credit for that for in 2014 being one of these heavier or, or at least hinting at one of these heavier more emotionally um rooted horror films but I found myself wanting to see some more surreal, like, scary shit and think less about her relationship to her father that I don't care about. Sure. I hear you. I think I just disagree. You want more emotions and, and trauma and less fun? I want them both. I think you can't have both. Because maybe I think it's fun to mess with people traumatically. <laughs> I think there's more that can be done there. Like, again, my favorite thing is not that her dad keeps showing up. It's the phone. 
I wish that he called her constantly. I wish that he was. she was always hearing that fucking phone ringing. No, because then you do your trick too many times. Well, here's the other sure, thing. Sure, sure. But other things. Then, then something else. Maybe that he like wrote her a letter and she finds the letter. Like, I just want them to be psychologically tormented the whole movie. Sure, that doesn't work with seven characters. No, but and it, it doesn't does work start... in 90 minutes. Sure. And it doesn't work with the al- alchemy lore. If you cut out the alchemy, sure. That's the other thing. This movie works, but it is throwing like a hundred things at the wall. Yeah. So its batting average is high just by virtue of the fact that it has enough cool ideas and images and like concepts that work and are fun. This movie works without the alchemy. This movie works without the trauma. It has both. And I think that sometimes when it gets a little muddled, it's because it's trying too many things. Again, successful movie, fun movie, interesting movie. It, there's just a lot going on. I hear you. I think that like what I didn't need, what could have been either trauma or lore was the end. And sure. that's what I'm saying is yes. that like, yes. let's bring that around and have it not be this hand wavy thing. You can make it fun with lore or you can make it sad with trauma. And I don't care which one it is, but I wish it was either of them versus, oh, I just sort of vaguely understand the concept of as above, so below, and now I have healing powers. Like, I don't get that. There's got to be... I this agree. Is, this is a smart movie. It actually is. Like, it's clever. Or maybe not smart. Maybe it's clever. It's clever. It's clever. So let's have a clever ending. I know that they're capable of it. And just it felt like they got lazy in the past, in the last like 10 pages. And we're like, I don't know, just say the power of love. I don't know. I do want to wrap this up, but I do think that for that to work, you have to explain as above, so below as your guiding principle better than this film does. Agreed. Like I said, she reads it and then she says about 13 different ways of thinking that, including the, um, as there are on the earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the, what I, so it is in me as it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 She like says again, like, like 10 phrases that are that, and that didn't explain to me as a viewer what I needed to know. So when it comes back later, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Because I didn't understand it, and the movie wanted me to, but it didn't explain it to me. Mm -hmm. And that works when you're talking about, like, decoding the number of planets so you know which rock to touch. I just need to follow the plot. I don't need to solve it myself. Sure. The emotional ending of this doesn't work for me. Because, again, the kiss, like you said, like, the you hug your ghost dad who's in the catacombs for some reason. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't die down here. Do you want to know why? Why he's down here? That's, I mean, it's related to the, it's, it's the seventh circle of hell. It's violence. There's three versions of violence. Violence against your neighbor, violence against yourself, and violence against God. One of those is the woods of suicide, where you go if you kill yourself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, woods That's in the Italy? concept. What? In yeah, hell? woods in Italy? In hell. I don't know. Suicide forest is Japanese to me. That's true. That's very interesting. Yeah, That's... wait. Also, there's, there's a forest in hell? Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's actually described as having very dark trees, but I always pictured birch trees when I was reading it. Should I read Dante's Inferno? Maybe. I don't, it's pretty cool. It's like, I mean, it's it's an undertaking, obviously, but it's pretty cool. Is it a pun? <laughs> undertaking? <laughs> that was really good. All right. Uh, you know what's a movie about... Uh, Kind of Dante's Inferno, what? but uh, not really related to this, is um, The House the Jack Built by Lars von Trier, which is about a... What was it about? It's about a serial killer, um, a Bundy-esque serial killer, like, and episodes in his life, but the whole time he's, like, talking to Virgil, so I think the implication is sort of that he's being, like, led through hell and talking about, like... Mm. I don't know. It's a very interesting movie. It's a... Like I said, it's a Lars von Trier movie, so it's very fucked up. It might be on Hulu right now, 
very funny, darkly funny, yeah, very disgusting horror oh, movie. Yikes! Um, highly recommended. I love that. I love uh, Dante stuff. That's I like my main. That's my main film experience with um, Inferno. Inferno, and that's also another movie where I didn't understand it at the end. Uh, like literally like the last 15 minutes it becomes clear that he's Virgil and I was like oh Oh, nice so I also think that maybe I just have like um Inferno blindness Inferno blindness yeah like I just I can't recognize it when it's in front of me I mean I didn't really either and I love it I think that's that's why I like it in this movie because it's set up in an easter egg way not in like a oh we are going to hell everyone put your fucking helmets on so we can all go to hell like I think that the the fact that is that what you wear to go to hell yeah your your helmet Uh, like a motorcycle helmet yeah okay uh, no, like a, like they're like with their little headlamps on them. Um, oh, like a I, spelunking helmet. Like a spelunking helmet. I think that if if the uh, abandoned hope ye who enter here was on the wall when they literally first walk in, when they go in the bad tunnel, yeah, or even like when the cop shows up, like if it was that obvious, like let's say this is a different, even more heavy handed movie. No, because people get out like, of the people get out of that place that they're in. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's a worse thing because then it's setting up so obviously in a way that doesn't make sense. It's like, they're going into hell. Right. I like that this didn't hit us over the head. Agreed. I don't know. Are you ready to throw this down a mine shaft so it breaks its neck? Oh my God. Who did that happen to? Benji. That's what it was Benji. Oh yeah. We didn't really talk about Benji. Sorry. We don't need to. <laughs> this episode isn't long enough, so would you like to talk about the Oscars that just happened? Oh, sure. Because I feel like we should. Yeah. The Oscar, the 93rd Oscars, Academy Awards for this past weekend. If you watched our YouTube video where we react to the nominations, you'll know that this is very near and dear to us, mm-hmm. and it continues to be. I was going to say, you will you know how we feel about some of the movies. <laughs> sure. We also uh, misled our audience at the time, because we had not seen the Florian Zeller film, The Father, which is absolutely a horror film. Mm-hmm. It, Everything about it is it, set up. It and, is shot like yeah. a horror film. Its premise is is horrifying inherently. It's horrifying, but it's like it, it seems like a a taut drama, but it's about it's about a a man um, whose grip on reality is slipping as he deals with Alzheimer's and dementia, mm-hmm. and it is shot and edited to disorient you as a viewer in a way that is so unsettling. And the score is the score of a horror film. Absolutely. It is totally a horror film. It is one of the better films uh, nominated, that was nominated for Best Picture. Um, and I absolutely recommend it if you can watch The Father. I know absolutely. it sounds ridiculous. I think a lot of people like us looked at it on its face and was like, oh, that's Oscar bait. Right? Yeah. And that's, Anthony Hopkins drama with Olivia Coleman. Okay. That's like, like, I need to watch this. The Wife. Or, yeah, I've seen you know, it. Uh, totally wrong. You have not seen it. Definitely a horror movie. Yeah. Definitely recommend. Definitely deserved best actor performance. Uh, yeah, so although that's, that's controversial. That's how that ended was, uh, best picture was third to last and best actor was last and given to Anthony Hopkins who was not there and not Chadwick Boseman who also was not there. But I think the plan was for it to end on a, a tribute to him mm-hmm. getting a posthumous Oscar. Um, it was a risk Steven Soderbergh took that did not pay off. I don't know how I feel about that choice. The choice on behalf of Steven Soderbergh to end it that way and the choice on behalf of the Academy as a larger group as they are to collectively do this. Um, but regardless of who deserved the win itself, it is absolutely an incredible performance from Anthony Hopkins. Absolutely. I also want to say, just to clarify for someone who's listening and doesn't follow this the way we do, Steven Soderbergh is one of the producers of this year's Oscar telecast. Um, and he's taken all the blame. He's taken all the blame because he's the most <laughs> famous of the three producers. And also is a filmmaker who tends to do stuff like this, who wants to like kind of take chances and 
mix things up in order to kind of garner a reaction, be it positive or negative, yeah. because in some ways, negative reactions are also positive reactions, especially when it comes to the Oscars. In general, I thought the vibe of the Oscars was pretty good and different. It was in Union Station. It was much chiller, much more conversational. They didn't play acting clips. Uh, they were sitting at tables, so it was more similar to the Globes than these th- the theater seating yeah. of the normal Oscars. I thought it was interesting. I think that like, given the challenges of the pandemic, I think that it mostly worked. I think giving Best Picture, which went to Nomadland, uh, a good movie, uh, third to last was a interesting choice and a, a I applaud the desire to do something different. All that said, I don't ever want to see an Oscar telecast quite like that again. It no. doesn't it didn't it, it it worked for the time. If that's the new status quo moving forward, I feel like it's it's missing something. It won't work. It won't work. It was a weird it was very strange cuz it wasn't just that order change. They also didn't they started with the screenplay awards, which is odd. Um, rather than starting with a, an acting award, which they normally do. And they did director really early, yeah. which also isn't... It, the, the whole thing was very anticlimactic. I just want to say, I think that when you do... When you build with um, director and then ending with picture, it allows for the momentum of something like last year's Oscars with Parasite, right? Agreed. Which international feature and then screenplay. like It, it, it kept building and it was like oh Bong Joon-ho's winning like so many Oscars and then it, it actually feels electric like it could end with Parasite actually winning the way that we all hoped but didn't actually think was going to happen yeah and well because we were still setting up if we'd gotten Bong winning best director for Parasite early in the night that probably would have potentially predicated the whole thing it was that he was winning all these awards and we were like okay another one and then it got to director which we thought was going to go to Sam Mendes mm-hmm. and it was Bong and then it was like oh my God, can we actually do this? And then it was Parasite. And so everything elevated from there, that didn't really happen this time. No, and granted, this was a ceremony where um, Chloe Zhao and Nomadland were the front runners the entire season. Yeah, also just anticlimactic in general. It's anticlimactic, right? And if those had been upsets, it would have probably been weirder. Um, So I understand if you're going to take that risk, this is the year to do it. If you actually feel that the temperature in Hollywood is that this is Chloe and Nomadland's year, mm-hmm. um, which again, the facts bore that out. Yeah. Then like, and that was a historic win for Chloe as well. I hate, I hate it feeling anticlimactic just because it was so predicted. It was a very big deal. Only, I the, saw sec- people... only the second woman ever to win best director. Like that's nuts. It is crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I felt so complicated about this, this telecast because my favorite thing about the Oscars every year is that it honors movies. I love movies. I love montages. Everybody always throws a fit about the montages. Everybody always throws a fit about, like, talking about movies, but that's why we're here. And I saw some people feeling like this didn't honor movies enough. Like, I actually saw, there's a quote from Glenn Weldon that made me laugh where he was like, this felt like the, like, championship swim meets that I would have when I was younger where there's a lot of awards given and a lot of speeches given, but no actual swimming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Glenn, it's still all about movies. The really sweet thing that I feel like tied this whole ceremony together, and there's always something, there's always like a theme. This year's theme was everyone talking about their first movie experience. Like the first thing they remember being in a theater, the first movie they remember seeing. And I love that. I think it is so sweet. I think it's very nice to remember that a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of these filmmakers started out just like us. 
you know, like going to see movies in theaters with their parents, not knowing they'd grow up to win Oscars. Yeah. And I just think that's so beautiful. I love that. I it like it reminds me of watching, you know, the Oscars when I was a little kid and um, somebody would give a speech that was like, when I was little, I sat at the Oscars and I wanted to win one. And I just like I'm so touched by that. I love it. I love people who've loved movies their whole lives. And it's so lovely to hear these memories and see the inspiration for these people like knowing that they wanted to get into film as their career and I just thought like that was so beautiful and I think that anybody who's like meh 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 I wanted more clips it's just like stop I completely agree I mean I, I could have both but again uh you and I are in the minority that this could be a seven hour show and we still watch <laughs> I it, love right? it that's not true of most people and I I'm a little bit over uh we don't need to get into this. I'm a little bit over like talking about like mainstream viewing of the telecast right. and the declining ratings. How do we ratings. bring in the viewership? Like I, I don't care, care anymore. Make it f make it for the enthusiasts, and that's ultimately what matters. Yeah. Movies as a central form of of like pop culture interest is on the decline. It, facts are facts. P like movie culture is not what it was 25 years ago. We can't go back to that. We yeah. have to change. We have to move forward. And I don't think more stop people trying the to get people into the Oscars. Yeah, I don't think people getting into the Oscars is going to change that. Everyone tuning in for one night is not going to change movie culture. And I don't think that nominating blockbusters, which this year there were none, would like makes people care about the Oscars. I don't think having The right. Rock host makes people care about the Oscars. And potentially this is the year that everyone should have cared because this is the year that nobody had to go to a movie theater. Although that's an another issue of charging people $20 to see most of these nominees, but, like, what does this say about, like, our streaming services? What does this say about movie theaters? Like, movie theaters are closing, you know? Like, some of them went out of business this year. That's crazy. Yeah. What does that mean for our future? And I think that, like, a world in which we can watch these movies on streaming without being charged $20, maybe that does make for a more effective ceremony that everybody watches because everybody plays movies on Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max and doesn't pay $20 for them when you're a single person who's at their own home. Like, that sucks. But you know what? Uh, theaters were closed all year and it was a horrible pandemic and Netflix still couldn't win Best Picture despite Insane. having, like, six, like, serious contenders. Yeah. At the and the most Oscar-y, Oscar-y, Oscar-y movie that won nothing which is crazy to me which is the trial of chicago seven yeah. for listeners who don't know <laughs> the only best picture nominated to win nothing interesting oscars i think that it was uh ultimately more successful than not but i am looking forward to a return to some elements of a status quo insofar as a status quo exists anymore again for for movie enthusiasts next year what's your best picture pick for next year Hmm. You're taking this question. It's a crazy question. Don't take I it know. so seriously. I'm trying to remember what Sean and Amanda said on the big picture. <laughs> wow. We're not sponsored I'm by The Ringer or Spotify. I'm stealing their answers. Um, uh, the new Candyman. <laughs> I'm going all in. Only horror movies nominated for Best Picture next year. Love it. What's yours? Um, fuck it. Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Yes. Yes. Again, I'm, we're sticking with it. I'm calling all horror movies Best Picture nominees next year. Yeah. I will accept no uh, uh, dramas, no Oscar bait, only horror movies. I'm into it. Great. Would you like to spin that roulette? Yes, I and will. And we can figure out what is next for us. Our next movie will be... <laughs> Holy shit. What will it be? Um, Saw. We literally were just talking about doing a Saw-a-thon. The, I think, ninth 
or 10th, I don't know, Saw movie, um, Spiral, from the Book of Saw, directed by podcast uh, favorite Darren Lynn Bousman of Hallelujah the Devil's Carnival oh fame. God. Um, so many podcast It's coming out in May. So movie theaters are opening again. Obviously, that is exciting for those of us, like Liz and I, who live in metro, major metropolitan areas and are vaccinated and are therefore able to return to, return the to movie theaters. We are looking forward to a new horror movie in theaters. And neither of us have seen beyond, I think, like the third Saw movie. I've never seen any of them. I've and never now, seen the movie Saw in my life. The roulette has somehow <laughs> blessed us with, with Saw. Saw. Where is this uh, streaming? HBO Max. Oh, nice. So back to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I think this is so serendipitous and exciting. I love when we get to tackle a horror classic. I know. I love when especially the Especially a horror classic that one of us hasn't seen. I know. It's crazy that I haven't seen Saw. It was like a weird time for me when it was in theaters with horror. And then it was one of those things that it did get spoiled for me like really early like mm-hmm. when I was in college. I think it's faded enough now that like I know the twist, but I don't remember how it kind of like factors into everything. So I'm interested to see what I remember and how it plays out. We're on an incredible run right now. Between really the roulette are. and great recommendations. We're building up to episode 100. Yeah. Very exciting for us. I'm excited. So uh, next time. Check out Saw with us. And until then, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Be sure to leave us a like and a review and a subscribe. Yeah, we'd love to see it. And come talk to us about your horrifying experiences in the Paris Catacombs. <laughs> or your weird Easter eggs from As Above, So Below that I didn't mention. If you or know some Dante's Inferno shit, lay it on me. Whether I am just a curmudgeon and you think that... <laughs> National Treasure and Da Vinci Code and all the alchemy lore in this is actually great. And I'm just uh, a stupid head. A fun sucker. I don't know. Did I say stupid head? You did say stupid. Are we in second grade? It's been a long episode. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking for a very long time. That's true. Thanks, as always, to Wes Craven and to Claire at Duplass on Twitter for recommending this movie. This is, I think, obviously, if you can't tell by the length of the episode... Um, some of the most fun it's been to talk about a movie in a while though I, I mean I liked Cure too but like I think that this was a genuine not necessarily surprise but there were lots of surprises in it yeah and I just had a blast with this movie even for all the things that I criticized it for this was like a really it was really fun really fun and fun to talk about yeah I'm really You're I really two enjoyed for this. two Claire great work awesome job. and we got a lot of other recommendations when we mentioned we were doing a recommendation so if you have more absolutely please send them to us we are keeping a list absolutely of ones we will do when we're sick of the roulette um, so absolutely keep sending them. We, we are absolutely recording them and we are so excited to watch them. We will do our best to get to them eventually. Yeah. If something leaves the streaming service, we're probably, Ugh. we can't bend reality, <laughs> but, uh, fingers crossed. We're very excited and maybe we'll just watch it and we'll just talk about it in passing. Even true, true, true. About it. We haven't done a recent screams recently. We actually haven't. Yeah. We haven't talked about what we've been watching. It's not really the horror time. We were watching a lot of Oscar movies. That's now we're true. going back into horror, uh, with, that's a whole new year. New movie year, yeah. Just so weird. It's literally the end of April. Starting with Saw. Oh, yeah. Great. I love it. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.